0: Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Mike Luke. This Arizona Wildcats podcast is brought to you by DraftKings, an official betting sponsor of the NFL, a partner. And they got a great deal going on. You can go there and you can throw down $1 on an NFL game and you can get $200 uh, going right after that. Uh, now I am joined by Mr. Triple Double himself, Mr. Matt Mulebach. Think about all the great players that have come through the U of A. The first one that had a triple double was the man that i'm talking to right now
1: <laughs> how you doing mike thanks uh, for having me
0: yeah on. matt and you'll let's let's get down to it Lute olson was obviously a huge uh Lute olson was obviously a huge part of the uh, um the fabric that is tucson arizona and before we get into a lot of the details and i've got some anecdotes i know you've got a lot of anecdotes what, does he, what did he mean to this city? How has this city changed since he arrived here in the mid-80s?
1: Well, I mean, not, I'm not taking anything away from, from Tucson or Southern Arizona when I say this, because it's a great community. I love it. You know, I, li- I've, I, I have lived here since college. Um, but I really think the main thing he did is he really gave it an identity, and he gave the U of A a brand. And, you know, you hear um, East Coast people talk about Zona, and, yeah. um, you know, just the program and the school itself. And, you know, obviously joining the, the Pac-10 from, from the WAC, I think, you know, U of A had some catching up to do. I mean, you have all those teams like UCLA and USC and, you know, with, with such incredible tradition in the Pac-10. And I think, you know, the teams like Arizona State or Arizona that were that were coming into the league were trying to find itself, mm-hmm. and um, I think that as I said, Luke gave it gave it the brand. He gave this 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 entire university of brand that I think is
0: is here forever. Yeah, and what's unique about Coach Olson and what he built here is the communal environment. You go to a lot of places. I've gone to a game in Kentucky, and again, I know it's a little bit different, but those it it doesn't it didn't have the feel that you did at an Arizona game. And I'll give you an idea. When Mike Bibby hit campus in 1996, and granted, this was before all of the recruiting services became huge and you knew kids when they were nine years old. Once Bibby was here, I felt like I knew Mike Bibby within like a month, like within a month. I knew that he didn't really socialize much. He played basketball. You knew the whole story with his background. You felt invested in the entire team. And oh, by the way, they're also whooping people down on a national basis.
1: Yeah, no, no question. and that. Well, you mentioned the national basis. And, you know, that was one thing Luke did when he came in is he played everybody. Mm-hmm. And he wanted this school. He wanted Arizona. He wanted his teams, um, you know, to, to play Duke and play Carolina and play on the road at Georgetown, at Illinois. I mean, nobody did that in the back. Right. I, mean, I mean, maybe UCLA did. I should take that back. But rarely did you see teams – uh, from from even the Pac-10 or the West Coast ever do it unless it was a money game right they went out to to, to sort of lose to somebody and make some right. money but Arizona he he stepped it up um, and he what I, you mentioned Bibby too it's interesting Lou um, he recruited every type of player right and he recruited McDonald's All-Americans like Mike Bibby or Craig McMillan was his first Sean Elliott but he got guys like Steve Kerr and I was talking to Channing Frye over the weekend, you know, I was laughing that he was considered a project by people. I don't know where he was in the range. Top
0: 100 kid out of St. Mary's.
1: Yeah. I mean, right. but you know, as much as, as much as people talked about Luke having a, an eye for talent and he did, um, what he really had an eye for was, was people and and getting the right type of people. And he, he probably had you know, 10 or 12 boxes he, he liked to check, but the, the tops of those boxes were, look, competitiveness. He got, he got people that could compete. He got winners. He got good guys. He got guys that played hard and were, were good teammates. And I think when you kind of combine that you know, those ingredients, that's, that's the recipe that you saw with his teams.
0: I what another fact that I think is really unique about Coach Olson is, and again, people look at it now and people get so caught up with rankings, you know, who had the who all that. The one thing about him is, yeah, you mentioned Craig McMillan, McDonald's All American, you mentioned Sean, obviously, and McDonald's All American out of Tucson is that's rare air right there. Yeah. yeah. And Bibby, who if you lived in Tucson in the 90s, I can't really explain to you the hype that was Mike Bibby coming in here. But when you look at it though, Matt, I would make the case that the entire backbone, not the entire backbone, but a a good percentage of the vertebrae, how about that, was the guy's... The guys like Damon Stoudemire, regional recruit. Right. Jason Terry, regional recruit. Miles Simon, not quite good enough, they viewed, to get into UCLA. Guys like that. I mean, you look up at the banners right there, or excuse me, the retired numbers. Yeah, Elliot, big-time recruit, Bibby, big-time recruit, Gardner. But then you got Miles, you got JT. You've got other guys in there that were not the top-level type players, and he turned them into guys that made over $100 million in some cases.
1: Yeah, his his ability to develop players was was off the charts, and w- what I remember is is talking to um, like NBA scouts, and they would say that every time they got an Arizona player, they were amazed at how far, how much further they were uh, along the development as these other players coming out. Um, whether it was again, as you mentioned, a Mike Bibby or a Judd Bushler, you know, a mm. guy that. Was sort of a, a, second a volleyball round, player. Volleyball player, Steve Kerr, late second round pick, but he he taught guys how to play, and he taught them to play at a high level. And the other thing that that I've said a million times, so you've probably heard this before, is, you know, he he taught guys fundamentals, but at the same time, he let guys go. I mean, he mm-hmm. was not afraid to just just. I mean, we we had his memorial celebration yesterday, and Roz, Coach Roz, jokingly referred to. Oh, here was Lute's coaching, you know, take him. That was one of his. And 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 when he said that, Kenny Lofton turned to me. He was sitting right behind me and he Mm -hmm. said, six call. That was the six call for Sean Elliott. And we we would run this clear out. And and you know, like I said, here's a fundamental coach, but he's literally running an NBA clear out because he knows how good Sean is. And he would we would run it around, Sean would get it on the left wing. We all cleared out, and Lute's words were take him. I mean, so that's that's pretty awesome to have a coach yeah. with that kind of that kind of you know a, ability to be fundamental but then open it up.
0: I've got a I've got a story that kind of dovetails into that. Um this was back, you know, because practice used to be open and we talked about the communal feel. I mean, you could literally walk into McHale on a two thir- thirty sometimes right. and you could see them playing. But this was back in this was back in the 1993 94 season, the final four year. And, you know, because uh, you know better than anybody, when, when there was practice going on, coach would split up the teams. He would a lot of times sit in the middle, and you would have like either Roz or Jesse Evans or Phil Johnson, whatever, KO perhaps, right. um, you know, uh, coaching. And so I can't remember exactly why, but Damon Dame Stoudemire and Khalid Reeves were going at each other. Khalid was actually running the point. Obviously, he was a shooting guard, but he was running the point in practice. He gets the ball to half court, and they're scrimmaging. And he looks over at Jesse Evans, and Olsen stops the practice immediately. And everyone, I'm looking around, I'm like, Khalid didn't miss a shot. Khalid didn't turn it Mm -hmm. over. And everybody's waiting, and coach takes about 30 seconds to get down to the court. And then he goes over to Khalid, and he says, Khalid, if you're having to look over for a play call right now, then I've done a very bad job coaching you at this point. He's talking to a guy who was the leading single-season scorer in uh, school history that year, someone who was an all-time great. And it was just amazing. And it was something that stuck with me, you know, 26, 27 years later, that he's stopping practice because Khalid Reeves, an All-American, looks over to Jesse Evans for a play call. But that's what you're talking (laughs) about. That was the free-flowing type environment that he had there, Matt. Yeah, it really was. And by the way, nice KO
1: reference. You know, it took you mm-hmm. about five minutes. I'll be getting
0: him. On. I'll be getting them on for sure. I appreciate
1: the KO reference. We we have some more of those.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I mean it's
1: I mean it was um, it was fun to play for, him. you know, right. it was fun to play in those games. I mean, I remember even even in the early nineties when we had the what they called the Tucson skyline, right? We right. had rooks and, and Stokes and Brian Williams. We still were scoring a hundred points. Mm-hmm. And you know, I laugh now because we go to some of the games and they used to have those, you know, the little uh, the little deal where if we scored in my area, it was if we scored 100, everybody got free pizza, I think it was.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: people would start chanting pizza, you know, around. And then they 90. switched
0: it to tacos after to make it cheaper because you <laughs> guys were scoring 100 points. <laughs> it
1: was <laughs> happening so often. But then I remember, you know, you go to some places, you go to like away games. I've been to away games, honestly, Mike, where if the team scores 80, they get free pizza or tacos or whatever it right. is. And, I mean, we were still scoring in the 90s and 100s, even with a big, strong team where we threw it inside a lot. But he – I mean, I just – I remember him. I can hear it in my ears when we would get a defensive rebound, him yelling go and run, and everybody had to run.
0: And what's amazing, too, you talk about the Tucson skyline, and this is what's cool about talking with a guy like Matt is that we can basically go all over the outline right here. My, what's fascinating about that is there were so many different incarnations of loot. He comes back and, you know, uh, the big people talk a lot of times about, you know, the first round exits and he came back and he said, you know what, we need to be a little bit, we need to be a little bit more guard oriented. And so what happens is, is literally with, he starts transitioning and, you know, it's kind of weird that it happened, but you go from da- the Damon Stodemeyer, Chris Mills, Khalid Reeves team. And then within three years, you've got a, basically a core four. And again, I don't want to minimize what AJ Bramlett and Bennett Davison and all those guys did, but you had a core four perimeter guys in Mike Bibby, Jason Terry, Michael Dickerson and Miles Simon that to, in my opinion, met. Is the best perimeter college basketball has ever seen, and here's why. And here's my only take: you've got three guys who were consensus first team AP All Americans at some point, in Mike Bibby, Miles Simon, Jason Terry, and mm-hmm. oh by the way, the fourth wheel, Michael Dickerson, is a third team right. All American. That's right. how he was able to transition stuff so quickly, Matt. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he
1: he he was he was not afraid um, to do different things with his teams, and you mentioned that team. Um, I remember being at the 94 final four and that was kind of the start of it where he really let, you know, Damon and Khalid do a lot of, a lot of stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, nowadays, like if you look, if you watch Tommy Lloyd's team this year, they'll run a lot of pick and roll, right? Right. High ball screens. That's what college basketball pro basketball is today. You know, when I first got to Arizona, we might run a high ball screen once a game. And I'm, I'm serious about that once a game. And yet, but we had it in our playbook, so we would run it at times. If Luke felt like there was a, a, you know, a way to take an advantage, he would run it. But I remember when he did have Khalid and Damon in that '94 season, all of a sudden they started using. It was called our, it was our, it was our two and three call, and he's running two and three all the time with Damon and Khalid. And then he kept that going, as you said, when he when he went kind of all guards. And to mm-hmm. some degree, the lineup he had. In, in 97, when they won it all, you look back at that Kansas team that hasn't had an unbelievable front line of, of LaFrance and Pollard, not right. to mention Pierce at the three on, you know, right. call of fame. Jacques
0: Vaughn at the one. And yeah, Vaughn, I mean, they had,
1: an, I think they had at that time the second best team in college history behind the 91 Vegas team. I agree. But, you know, for him to, like you said, spread it out, play all guards. But, but the key was, as I said, like that's what teams do now. But mm-hmm. the key was being able to have a guy like Bennett Davis and AJ Bramlett play the four and the five, be Good able to move everybody and, you know, athletic guys. And you think about it, when you think of, to me, the foundation of loot and U of A basketball was Pete Williams mm-hmm. you go all the way back. Eddie Smith, Eddie Smith. It was those six, seven, six, eight guys that could play down, down low, but they could also run. And he would do that and then pair him with the guards I mean, he was way ahead of his time, if you think about it.
0: Yeah, and what Matt mentioned here is that, you know, Arizona generally went over 80 points, and if uh, DraftKings was around back then, you'd want to hop in on that over (laughs) and under right there. (laughs) Taking the over all day long. Taking the over on that, and that's what's cool about DraftKings. You can go in there. There's all different kinds of lines, and oh, by the way, right now you've got a $200 free play once you put in $1 (laughs) on an NFL game. Now, you might want to be basically be the opposite of what I do because what I did is I told everybody that I thought Arizona football was going to beat San Diego State, and well, they were down twenty-one nothing within about seven minutes. So if you do want to make some money, maybe go in with what Mike Luke says and maybe go with the opposite way because let's be honest here, I could probably make you some money either way, right there. Luka did you see yeah. go Stanza go opposite? Matt, that's exactly what I'm saying right here. I mean, my reputation precedes me at this point. <laughs> I mean, it was some pretty impressive work that I did. But again, DraftKings is easy to get to. It's easy to navigate. And you know what? If you do have a little bit of a gambling issue, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP and they can get you working there. And the cool thing about being on PHNX is I'm going to be having guys like Matt Mulebach, Kevin O'Neill. And you know what? If you're on and you're on the YouTube right now, just make sure that you, basic, you download uh, any of the... Uh, all of the uh, AZ Wildcats on podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spot, uh, Spotify, or you know what, you can go to the site PHNX Sports and subscribe. We got a lot of really good stuff going on there. All right, Matt. So we talk about we talk about Lute Olson, and I think something that's interesting is you look at and again we talked about this on the phone a little bit. I don't want to minimize what Roy Williams has done because he's a top ten all time coach. That's that, that's you know indisputable. But I think what's impressive, though, about what Luke did as opposed to maybe a guy like Roy Williams where you're coaching in Blue Bloods, which, you know, you got a little bit of an inherited advantage. Luke goes from Iowa, where he wins a Final Four, to Arizona, which, again, under Fred Snowden, you had some good teams, no doubt. But it wasn't an empire. Luke built an empire off a team that was coming off a four-win season there, Matt, in a place that, let's be honest, Sean Elliott notwithstanding didn't have a lot of local talent to be able to pull from. Yeah, you think about it and you're like what the heck was Luke thinking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Why did he
1: leave Iowa? He was he would just been to the final four. He was on the on the verge of another final four at mm-hmm. Iowa. He had the city going crazy. Um he had that the, the as you just mentioned that but you know the lack maybe in Tucson of the huge talent pool. He's in the Midwest where he could go anywhere. He could mm-hmm. probably drive you know, four
0: hours and get to a hundred kids. You got Indiana, you got Michigan, you, you got, got all those. Right.
1: So what the heck was he thinking? And then he comes out here, by the way, and he calls his shot. He basically mm-hmm. went Babe Ruth on everybody and said, look, you know, the story's legend at this point. He went to every business fraternity sorority and said, you better buy your tickets. They're going to be gone fast. Um, we're going to light it up here. We're going to kill it. I-, I have no idea how he saw that vision, you know how he how he saw it, and it happened. And by the way, it happened in five years. Mm-hmm. He was in the Final Four in five years, right? With a team that was one in seventeen. And I know, look, I, I I know football's different. You need a lot more players. Basketball, you can probably get you know two three guys, and you got a chance to make a good run. Mm-hmm. But think about a team that is you know dead last in the conference in the Pac-12 making the Rose Bowl in five years. It's right. you you can't even imagine it.
0: You know, um, I I think a big part of it too is when, when you watched loot, and I think it was and Jay Billis was talking about this. He obviously didn't end up going to Arizona, Arizona. He ended up going to Duke, but Jay Billis was talking about loot. And he said, you know, I was I was captured by the uh, the Duke allure, but I will tell you one thing. The class with which loot recruited me, the kind of regal, pristine vintage, you know. Cut out of a, you know, uh, cut out of a, a modeling magazine type. He's like, my parents wanted me to go to Arizona. I can't even imagine what it was like. So tell me, and I've I've segwayed that. Tell me a little bit about when Lute was recruiting you. What was that like?
1: Well, um, it was it was interesting because you know Ko, our buddy Kevin O'Neill, oh, was yeah. the lead assistant in that, and he was he was crazy in a good way. I loved Ko. Um, and then you had Lou, which was just the opposite. you know, he was just this super buttoned up, you know, didn't cuss, um, was was George clooney with 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 basically gray hair. I mean, just right. had uh, <laughs> very the, well put. The movie star looks, he was he was smooth. You know, Lou was actually a bit shy. you know, he was not a, a, an outgoing person per se. Um, but I'll tell you when so i've I've been asked this when he came into my house, like I had guys like you know Larry, uh, Larry Brown come in and Mike Montgomery, and right. a lot of good coaches came in, but there was no one that had the presence that Lute had. he mm-hmm. He was first of all a big man. We you know mentioned the he's, good looks. People don't know he's he was literally what was he six six Matt? He was six five-ish, but but right. big and strong and just had right. this presence and aura about him that right away, like if you talk to my mom and dad who were in the you know who were there in the visit, just it it, it it was unlike anybody else and and that was the key for me and and part of that too as I said not a not a naturally outgoing guy but a guy with a ton of confidence he he knew what he was going to do he had the confidence to do it and he was kind of you know he was different than a lot of coaches said oh I'm gonna get you in we're going to you, you know get you playing time right away he was like no like we're gonna kill it you know we're going to the final four do you want to be part of this and it was almost like a great salesman where like i'm i'm asking him to be part of the team you know like i wanted to be part of it and he just had a way about him that that uh, and that's that's why he got so many good players
0: and John Wooden, who obviously had many of the same qualities that Lute Olson did, I thought paid Lute Olson the uh, the best compliment when they asked. Uh, he was asked this, and I want to say this was in the late '90s, and I'm paraphrasing here. But John Wooden was asked about Lute Olson, and you know, carrying on, you know, the Pac-10, Pac, well, Pac-10 legacy. And John Wooden said, "I can't think of a man that I'm prouder to be a friend of than Lute Olson." And you're talking John Wooden, arguably the greatest coach in any sport ever. Talking about yeah. the Arizona basketball coach, and I'll tell you one thing, Matt: it wasn't just you know window dressing. He wasn't just saying that; he meant that.
1: Yeah, he really did. I mean, and you'd have to say Lute is the modern day John Wooden for the no Pac-10, doubt. for the Pac-10, Pac-12. Um, and I remember them, Mike, as a as a you know freshman sophomore, we'd go to play in Poly. And I remember looking over in the layup lines and John Wooden would come down from the stands, uh, him and Lute would talk. There was this big difference in height, but I, I, I took like a mental picture of that in my mind. And I thought, you know, this is going to be something I'll remember for the rest of my life, seeing this incredible legend before the legend of Lute, um, and seeing those guys talk. And I think you mentioned something though, and that is Luke just did it the right way. And, um, you know, he did it with class. He did it with integrity um, you know, we had this memorial service and because of COVID, it was kind of hard to, to plan some things. Um, there was, you know, it was a little bit late in the planning, but I called, you know, we were able to get some, you saw some of the video mm-hmm. um, that we put out before the, before the ceremony this Sunday. And it was Roy Williams. Right. It was Jay Billis. It was uh, Mike Montgomery. You know, Sean, obviously, Elliot couldn't make it. So he had his video. I mean, people like Billis, I sent Billis a text. Five days before this memorial. I mean, with with no context, by the way. Right. I said, Hey, hey Jay, I know this is way late notice, but we're trying to get some video of some people for um for Coach Olsen for this Sunday. I, I mean, and like within five seconds, I had a text back, you got it. And and I was and that's and, and and not I even a guy that played for him. You didn't even play for him, right? right? I mean He just, he's, he's covered him and knows him. And as he said, his mom loved him on the visit. It was, I think it was down to, you know, Iowa and, and Duke. Um, But that's, that's the kind of guy that I think just the way people respect him.
0: Yeah. And um, when I, when I think about it, we got, we got a quick read here with, with, uh, but coming up, but, I want to talk a little bit, too, coming up about what exactly, how good Arizona was at its peak. And one thing about it, too, is if you want a bet coming up here, DraftKings is the place to go. You got the free $1 bet, PHNX code word. You get a $200 free play. And you know what? You got college basketball coming up. I don't know exactly what the over-under in Arizona wins are going to be. I do think that Arizona is going to be a little bit better than people think, so maybe go against what I'm going to say right there. I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed by Tommy Lloyd. Uh, you've got uh, you you've got you're a chief you're, you're a Chiefs guy, right, Matt? Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. Okay, KKC. well you know
0: if you wanted to get on on that online or if you want to get on, on that live betting yesterday, which I thought about doing when the Chiefs were at a basically about plus six thirty to win that game, you could have come away with some real good money there at DraftKings again. Put in code word PHNX, you get a free $200 play. And you know what? If uh, you got a little bit of an issue going on there, you can also go and you can uh, go to 1 800, uh, next step, and they're going to be able to help you out right there. All right, Matt, from 1990, I, I consider when it comes to Lute Olson, I consider the apex of Arizona basketball essentially about 88 to 03. I think, you know, kind of, I think after 03, things, you know, Age kind of steps in a little bit, the, the roster was a little bit more, you know, in flux. But from 88 to 03, Arizona, along with North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas, those were the five best programs in college basketball by any measure. And you've got four schools right there that with the exception of UCLA, or you know, are the five blue bloods in college basketball. And what he was able to do from in that window, Matt, you've got four final fours, got a national championship, you got a runner-up. Basically, every point guard, uh, most point guards that he had, went on to be lottery picks, from Bibby to Terry, Damon Stoudemire. It was just a sexy place to be, and he made it there. The fact that Arizona's in with Kansas, North Carolina, and all those other schools is really something that I didn't really appreciate at the time because I was young, but you look back at it, and it really is amazing what he was able to do in that window.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, during that period you mentioned, um, I think, you know, when October 15th started, which was the first day of practice, and you know, the first day of the NCAA tournament started in March. I think every one of those teams could have won the title. Every. And I will say this, I'll just carve out this this 30 seconds to say this. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to, you know, like point it out. I think one of the the one things that I feel bad about for Coach Olson is that, you know, at the time he and one of the like two or three or four of those teams didn't win a, another title. Cause right. I felt, like I said, that's 15, 16 years of having a chance. You're you're like one of the top 10 teams, you're one of the top five that really could have won a title each and every one of those years. Mm-hmm. And so, as I said, I'm not. It's, it's not something I, like, regret terribly or anything, but I, I think, you know, for how good we were in those teams, it, you really felt like you could have come away with three or four titles. Um, we had one, you know, I mean, the mm-hmm. 97 team, and that was, to some degree, the one that you thought, you know, going into it wasn't going to be the team. It was going to be next year. It was going to be the next year. You know, you look at that one team, I think you and I have always thought the one mm-hmm. team might be the best, most talented team ever. Um, with Gardner and and Gilbert Arenas and
0: Richard that Jefferson. Was the, that was the most perfectly constructed team that you could ever really come across. You had the toughest-nailed point guard in Jason Gardner. You had the all-everything scorer in Gilbert Arenas. You had Richard, who is one of the more unselfish stars in school history. The guy yep. averaged 10, 11 points a game. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I mean, you look That's at crazy. it. If you were just look at Richard's stats, yeah. you'd think to yourself, I don't care, whatever. Not but, a
1: lottery pick, right?
0: Yeah, not, not a lottery pick, but you right. know what? Generally, the cream rises to the top, and in that game against uh, Duke, he, right. along with Lauren Woods, were the two best players for Arizona in that game. Then you got Michael Wright, the bruising forward, Lauren Woods, the shot blocker, but he was able to mix and match and there was always kind of a unique flair to his roster. That was really the first one, though, that I thought checked off every single box in a very dynamic way. And I think the best way you could right. put that is you had five guys that were on the preseason top fifty Wooden Award list. And how about Luke Walton was the sixth man? As the sixth <laughs> man, exactly. You got a I mean, ten-year I mean, pro.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Ryan, uh, was it uh, Ryan uh, Ricky Anderson was a, was mm-hmm. a, like a he was like a Dunlevy type player, very good player. Right, like he was the seventh
0: guy coming in off the bench. I think he he was red shirted that year. Oh, remember, dude, okay, he okay. played two years, I think, then redshirted shirted or yeah. yeah. But you got him, you got him on the roster. The point's right. still well taken. I think I when you got a guy like Lamont Frazier, who was a solid player, and he's you know scratching right. to get minutes. I mean, that really goes to show you where where they were at. Now, my question for you is this: Do looking at it, looking at it now. I still think that it's impossible to really understand what Lute Olson's meaning was for this school. And I don't think people will ever properly get it because still Arizona has not been to a final four in 20 years, which is crazy to say a lot of elite eight. So it's not like Arizona has been in the dumps, but when I was growing up, basically I felt it was like my rite of passage. Every four years we play in the final four, but even to this day, Matt, when you ask an Arizona fan or a college athletics fan about Arizona, the first thing that they're going to bring up is Arizona basketball. And that's something along with the fan base that 100% is due to Luke Olson.
1: Yeah. I go back to my original comments, the, the branding that, that Luke created the identity, as you said, it was a sexy team back then it was, you know, and McHale, we haven't talked about McHale and the fans here. Um, you know that era, and you you were you were here, Mike. I mean, you saw games. It, it was, you know, being in McHale at that time was magic. It right. really was. It was. I mean, everyone knows my story. I never lost for four years. I mean, right? You think about going to a game, and every time the fans show up, they, they go home a winner. You know, you go home with a W, and and how just unbelievable that is. And for fifteen straight years, sixteen years, it was just. I think about those games. I. The thing – I'll tell you, for me, the two things I probably miss the most about about basketball are just, you know, the guys in the competition practice. I, I miss practice. I just miss being around people and competing, you know, being in those really tough practices. Luke was a – he was – when we would lose, he was unbelievably tough on us. Right. Um, and we had some – we just had some practices where we went at it. Guys were wanting to fight, you know, all the time. But the other thing I miss, certainly the, the games, but it's those – Late Saturday afternoon in Tucson, two o'clock game, you know, CBS, uh, you know. Oh, UCLA, gosh. UCLA, Arizona. I mean, Billy, B- I have Billy
0: Packer and
1: Vern Lundquist on the call. I have chills thinking about it, you know, and it's right. and and Mikhail was just and the fans knew, you know, when to when to bring it. And and, you know, they brought it in those big games and, and the atmosphere just there's unlike anything else.
0: I still think back and honestly, during the, during the loot ra- or the loot era. And again, I really, it was basically from the Chris mills team on that I caught every single game. So I, you know, I, well, that's basically what my frame of reference is as far as living it. And the only time that I ever felt that Arizona was going against teams that had more talent in the conference were those mid nineties, UCLA, Jim Herrick teams. Those were the yeah. only teams. And I'll tell you what, Matt, I think about it to this day. I was so nervous for every single one of those games, and I, I, like when Arizona played Stanford, Stanford was always really good, but I always felt that Arizona had better players, which I think they right. did. I think that's right. I agree with that. That UCLA, those UCLA teams where you had all the Obannons and Toby Bailey and Tyus Edney, McCoy. Those were the only times during that reign where I'm like they got, they might have better players and loot still got them from time to time, which is still amazing. And Herrick was Herrick for all of his issues was a really, really good coach. Still.
1: He was a really good coach. He got great players. You know, I remember when I was playing like, like 90, 91. And then when I left and then in 92, there would be at times, literally every single person on the court was an NBA player, every person. And you can look it up, you know, like I remember my, in 91, I think I was the only starter out of the top out of our starters in UCLA ten players that did not play in the NBA. And and Matt, (laughs) Matt,
0: let's let's not minimize it. How many of those guys though had the first triple double in school history? Seriously,
1: that's true. That's true. That's right. You ever talk to
0: you ever talk to Sean Sean Elliott and say, "Hey, dude, could could you step your game up a little bit like me?"
1: I, I know of all the people that would get a triple double. That, in fact, I remember like like Sean is the legitimate. Like he would be the guy. Right. I mean, yeah, was, for sure. He was sort of like those a younger kind of Kobe Bryant that, that no did doubt. everything, passed it, shot it, you know, mm-hmm. got to, to the defend
0: man. long, just looked yeah. different than everyone. Else. Yeah.
1: Six, eight point forward. But no, those, you, you know, you mentioned back to the UCLA games, you were nervous. I was nervous for those. <laughs> and and I remember, you know, we would get into those games and the energy was so off the charts that, you know, we would always have the first time out after, you know, under 16, under the 16 minute mark. And the pace was so incredible for the first four or five minutes. And, the you know, the, something went bog out of bounds, the horn, horn sounds, and it's a TV timeout. And I remember thinking that would, ha- it would happen all the time. I would look up and say, I have no idea what the score is. It right. could be 30 to 2. I, would, I wouldn't I would even know who was winning.
0: It was so riveting.
1: It was so riveting that the energy was so incredible. Um, it's just, like I said, those are the things I'm, I, I miss that piece of it a lot.
0: All right. The cool thing about this is that I'm going to be able to have some guys like Matt and Kevin O'Neill on. So if you like uh, if you like what you've been hearing here, you should go subscribe on the uh, podcast. AZ Wildcats podcast. You can go on phnx.com uh, and, you know, get a membership. There's going to be a lot of really good stuff going on here. And uh, Matt, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This is honestly I have chills talking about it just because of such the, so many memory lanes that are going on. I really appreciate you, my man.
1: You're welcome. I, I I enjoy bringing out the scrapbook as well. So it's a lot of fun talking about it. Yeah. For Matt Muehlbach, I'm Mike Luke.